talk to you about a subject tonight. What are the sorrows of death? This is a very positive, encouraging message. To fit the weather. My wife, on the way here, I appreciate her. I appreciate her. She says, tonight I bet you're going to preach a really encouraging message. I said, I am. She said, what is sorrows of death? It is believed that Jesus at the Last Supper, quoted Psalm 18. That's, that goes back. That's, it's a tradition. But that tradition goes way back, way back. Has credibility. I, w- I, w- I wouldn't die for it. But it seems to have high credibility that, that he quoted Psalm 18. Well, let me, here's why. Maybe when I read the first six verses here, you'll see why he did. I'll pick up, I read this now, a couple sermons back on something, and then the Holy Spirit just wouldn't let me rest on it, so I, I, I prepared it for tonight. It says, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler, and the horn of my salvation, my high tower. I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, so, I, so shall I be saved from mine enemies. That would be so apropos at the Last Supper. The sorrows of death compass me. This is so apropos. He's getting ready to go to Gethsemane. The sorrows of death compass me. The floods of ungodly men made me afraid. Man, is that, that's it's what he's facing. The sorrows of hell compass me about. He's getting ready to go and preach to those in captivity. The snares of death prevented me, went ahead of me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God, my God, my God. He heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came from him, before him, even into his ears. Father, help us tonight. May this uh, prepare us. May we be prepared for what's coming so that we could better deal with it and understand it, not be, not be discouraged or dismayed when it comes. In Jesus' name. Amen. I've had some experiences lately that some of what this psalm talks about describes. It wasn't too long ago. Uh, one, one medication they give you when you have the gout, chronic gout, is uh, prednisone. Uh, prednisone every day. Prednisone every day. Five milligrams prednisone every day. Small dose. Small dose. But five milligrams prednisone every day helps to hold the gout back. At least it did for a couple of years. How many here have ever taken prednisone? Look how popular it is. It's like a cure-all. Um, it helped me, but it, it affects your emotions. It affects your mind. It affects your attitude. If you can believe this or not, it wanted to make me a little grouchy. Can you believe that? And Brother Moon said, people who have to work with me, Makes you a little aggressive, too. Makes you aggressive. I've taken 40 milligrams, uh, uh, 100 milligrams of prednisone. And it, make you, it fires you right up. Pure adrenaline. Fires you up. Well, I mean, you, you, woo! 
But what I didn't realize, I got upset. I don't like taking drugs. I'm just going to tell you the truth. Can I have a true confession? Remember true confession? I don't like taking drugs. I just, I have a bad attitude, and I need to get right about it, but I have a bad attitude about taking drugs. When I had my thyroid out, when I was 28 years old, the doctor told me I was going to have to take thyroid every day, and I said, what? I'm not going to take any drug every day. He said, oh, you will. Oh, he was right. I just, I hated it. It it discouraged me that I had to take something every day. He says, well, you can die. I thought, well, I could get used to it. And uh, I got mad. I got mad. You believe that? I got mad. And I said, you know, I'm just going to quit. Didn't tell my wife. I'm going to quit this prednisone. I don't need it anymore. So I just cold turkey dropped it after two years, about two years. And I went into what I did not know. I did not know what was happening to me. I did not know. For three days, I did not know what was happening to me. But I went into what later was told me was adrenal, adrenal shock of sorts. I'm, I, I cannot verbally tell you what it felt like because the, the feelings of abandonment, the feelings of dismay, the feelings of despondency, the feelings of fear, fear, raw, unadulterated fear, hopelessness, covered me like a blanket. The sorrows of death, the sorrows of death. I called everybody I could think of that could help me. I got a kick. You know, when people call you for help and they're in trouble let me try to give you some advice probably just listen to them and say well i'll pray for you don't don't start off with well you shouldn't feel that way as a christian jesus died for you and you got all these things looking forward that's just not the time to go through that it's just not the time david in the psalm had been running from saul He'd been running from Saul, though he was anointed by Samuel to be king over Israel. Now think of the think of the strangeness of the confusion that was in David's mind. David by Samuel had been anointed uh, to be king over Israel. His brothers, he was the baby of the family. His brothers had not been anointed, but God had skipped all of them and went down to him and said, "This is the man that's going to be the king. He's going to be a man after my own." And and he got anointed by Samuel. He probably thought. Things are looking up. I mean, I would think things are looking up. I'm out there taking care of the sheep for dad. I'm the little man on a totem pole. And you know how plumbers go. Everything runs downhill. And so the young, youngest got all the junk, got all, hey, go fetch this, go do this, go do this. And so David gets told by Sam, you're going to be the king. I'm anointing you. God's doing it. It's, this is big. But man, it didn't work out that way, did it? I mean, he got into, eventually got into, you know, Saul's, I mean, he killed Goliath. That made him famous. But he got into Saul's house. And <clears throat> the, the, Saul has sinned against God and displeased him. So God sent an evil spirit. You want to know why there's some mental illness in, in this world? I'll tell you, because in some cases, God sends it. He sent an evil spirit to Saul to torment him soul. And David played an instrument, probably played the violin. I don't know. But he played his instrument, and it would drive the demonic spirit away. That tells you something about Christian, real Christian music. And he would soothe Saul. So Saul loved the fact that he could play this instrument, whatever it was, and soothe the tortured soul of Saul. 
And, uh, but Saul, he, he was going nuts. He was going crazy. He'd take his javelin and try to pin him against the wall. Well, you know, Saul was a, was a trained warrior. It was no just no, when he threw that javelin, he knew what he was doing. And David, I'm telling you, pretty agile, and God gave him mercy, and, and nothing, none of that happened, hit him. But I mean, I mean, even David once in a while thought, you know, if he keeps throwing that javelin at me, guess what's going to happen? It don't take no smart guy to figure this out. One of these days, he's going to pin me against the wall. <clears throat> David began to run. And when the running started, man, for the, the, biblically 15 years, David ran away from this, the king. With all the assets of the military on his side, he runs away from this king, falsely accused for 15 years. I would say he understood what the sorrows of death were. He was, instead of living in a palace, he's living in caves. Now, you know what lives in caves, don't you? Bat. Bats. Not Batman either. There's no Batman. There's no Batman. I hate to tell you that. There's no Robin. There's no Batman. There's no Star Wars. There's no Star Trek. There's no, none of that. It's all fake. But you know what bats do when they're in the cave? They poop. And that's nasty. And that's at the floor of the cave where you're sleeping. They're above you. You're on the floor. You know the setup. So when, when it talks about David going in a cave, he ain't going in a condo. You know, condo really roughing it, no pool. But he, he's, going in a, he's going in a cave and living like an animal. He's living worse than an animal. And he's anointed of God. So uh, David is, is sometimes, I'm going to use a, a vernacular, hair's breath. He's a hair's breath from capture and death constantly. Imagine living like this, never a good night's sleep, awakening at every little sound, wondering when the day will come, this old, this old boy is going to finally nail you. Uh, because the king's trying to kill you, and he's not just anybody. And so, what, but what's happening to David? David is going to school. And that's what God's going to do with you, and, he's, and he has done and will do and continue to do with me. Your education as a Christian just begins at being born again. Your experience with God just begins at being born again. That's just the beginning. Then from that moment till you take your last breath, you're in his school. And he is teaching you spiritual wisdom and he's conforming you to the image of his son and that is not done easily and it's not done with textbooks it is done through experiential things of life sometimes very hard things to go through as david did here david's going to school he's learning some deep blessing lessons but what are, what are, the, what are all these lessons really focus on is one thing trusting in God. Bottom line to everything that goes on in our life, God wants you to trust him. Trusting Jesus every day, trusting along life's way. Trusting Jesus as I go, trusting, I don't know what the rest is. Trusting Jesus, that is so. That sounds good. You people know the words, really hate that, don't you? But falling back on the relationship with God, that's what he had. That's all he had. And you know, I think God pulls a rug out from us sometimes. 
physically, financially, maybe even our country, pull the rug out from under us, the security blanket, the binky. The binky. Does your boy have a binky? Does he have a one particular binky he likes? Take it away from him, see what happens. You try. I hid Troy's binky in the wastebasket. He went and got it out of there, pulled it out, pulled it back. I see it. I think it was all nasty, dirty. Uh, un- uh, now, you know, we didn't wash it for five years. No, we did. But, but I mean, it was nasty, wore out. And, and you know, we want to try to, We tried to get rid of it. I said, Kathy, you're not going to be able to throw that away. You've got to get rid of that thing. You've got to put that thing in the next universe because he's going to find that. Everybody, yeah, we all got binkies. And you know, God's going to have to take your binky away from you to grow you up. And uh, otherwise, and he wants you, he doesn't want you to fall back on the binky. He wants you to fall back on him. When there's nothing else and nowhere else to turn, he wants you to turn to him. And that's why things happen in your life that are not, unex- not explainable. Don't make con- they don't even make common sense other than you just have to trust God. That is what you will do when everyone, every, everything else is gone. So let me go back to the sorrows of death. What are the sorrows of death? Fundamentally, what is death? Death is a separation. Uh, for a Christian and for the unsaved. Now this is something, man, I know you got this, you old boys, but you younger people. Death never is a cessation of consciousness. That's not what it is. That's what the world defines it as. The world defines it as going into nothingness. The world defines it as dying like a dog. The world, whatever, however a dog dies. But the world defines it as a cessation of consciousness, but not in the Word of God. Death in the Word of God is a separation. In this most fundamental sense, it's a separation of your spirit and soul from your body. Your body no longer can sustain the spirit and the soul. And consequently, at a certain time, they separate. If I may say, not easily and not without a fight. You've heard of death throws. I've seen them. You've heard of the death, uh, oh my, my, I forgot the word, uh, the death uh, rattle. Death rattle. How many know death rattle? You've heard your mom and dad or other people you know die. There is a special sound when you're getting real close to death. It's unbelievable. You can walk in the room and say, ooh. I looked at one person's hands that went in the hospital, and you could see through his skin. You could see through his hand. I learned that that was from a lack of oxygen over a long period of time, and his skin became transparent. He died in two, three days after that. 45 years old. But a fundamental is the separation of your soul and your spirit from your body. Um, you've had people die near you, I suppose. I know the first person that ever died around me. I sensed when I went up to the casket that he was not there. It was my grandfather. He just wasn't there. I just knew. He, I'm, I think I was eight years old or so. I knew when I went up there, he wasn't there. I went up there. You know how a kid is. You don't have to leave. You know, you know how a kid is. You, you touch him, you know, the kid reaches over the casket, and he touches the hand of the grandpa, you know, you, you got to watch him, man. You got to watch the kid, you know, and I, man, it was like touching the top of this table. It was cold. 
Well, they kept him 50 degrees in the refrigerator. Of course it was cold. But it was cold. And it was, I said, ooh. I, I pulled back and I thought, ooh, that's not my grandpa. That's not my grandpa. And he was gone. Separation. So even in the most fundamental state, most people understand. They sense the difference. They sense something is gone in death. The body is left. It's there. But the person's not there. It's obvious to anybody with a sensitive spirit that this has happened. But it's more than just this. It's a separation from many things. The sorrows of death are plural. It's plural. Sorrows of death. It's more than just your spirit and soul separating from your, the comfort, if I may put it that way, of your body. But it's uh, a separation Possibly, I think part of this is, is, is the sorrows of death, separation of loved ones. Separation of loved ones. The separation of your comforts. And there are many. Uh, everybody's got a, a this or that they don't want to leave or they like. A separation from your home. Something that's familiar. When my dad died, we took him to hospice. You know, sometimes I, I had never gone through my dad died before, so... You make mistakes. You make mistakes, but it's too late to correct. I mean, it's just, you know, you only be, I always say you only go through this one time, and then when it's over, you don't get to go through it again. But my dad kept saying, I want to go home. I want to go home. And I should have intervened and had him go home. Why not? He could have died at home. But I said, no, Dad, you know, Mom can't take care of you. And, uh, Mom didn't want him home. And, and I just said, you know, I, but if I had to do it again, I'd say, yes, sorry, let's go. We'll load you up. We'll take you home. We're going to let you die at home. There's something, there's something comforting about home. Do you agree with that? Now, you people live down here, and you only just bought the house, probably don't have that. But if you lived in a house for 30, 40 years, oh, you got that. Like Gillespie's lived in their house for a long time. Uh, I've lived in my house for 20 years. You live in a house a while. It becomes like a familiar friend to you. It gets to be like a friend. You could be blind and make your way around the house because you know where this is at and where that's at, you know? Unless you had six cats. The sorrows of death is separation from favorite habits. Like eating. It's a habit. Uh, You know, pineapple cooked on the grill. You die, you're not getting no more pineapple on the grill, brother. It's over. I'm not sure of that because in heaven you may come up with pineapple girl. I don't know. I don't think so. They are going to eat in heaven, however. It's curious. What are you going to have with the marriage supper of the Lamb? I don't know. But it'll be good. And, I mean, but you're going to miss some of your familiar habits and things that you enjoyed. Uh, I've enjoyed a lot of things in this life. I mean, uh, hunting, fishing, you know, talking to folks, fellowshipping, running my John Deere, stuff like that. But it, and the biggest thing is the separation from the known to the unknown. Known is comfortable. Unknown's not comfortable. Unknown to almost everybody's somewhat scary, somewhat foreboding, somewhat repelling. Why? It's just unknown. People a lot of times won't dive because they're just scared of what they don't know. But after you dive a while... You pretty much know everything that you're going to run into, and it's not bad. All the fear is gone. All the fear is gone. Pretty soon, you start diving in five feet, 
You go to 10 feet, you go to 20 feet, 30 feet, 40 feet, 50 feet, 100 feet. You, you can keep diving because you work your fear um, parameter, if I want to call it, out by experience. And so the sorrows of death are separation from loved ones, separation from comfort, separation from familiarity, your home, separation from the security of habits that you, you've enjoyed in this life, separation uh, really from, from the known and, and taking you to the unknown. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, 15, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. You know the lost fear death tonight? They fear it. Should they fear it? Yes, they should. But I'm going to tell you, they fear death. Oh, they're big, tough, and brave, until all of a sudden it's right in front of their face. And they actually should fear it. Who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. The saved experience some of this horror too. I mean, I'm here tonight to tell you that the saved experience the sorrows of death. We're not delivered from that. Psalm 55, 4 to 5 says, my heart is sore pained within me. The terrors of death are falling upon me. David wrote it. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me and horror hath overwhelmed me. I don't know if you've experienced horror. Nobody wants to. You don't ask for it. But when it comes, and understand what I'm saying, when it comes, trust God. Where you got to go? You can't call the preacher. You can't ask. Your wife's not going to help you. Your husband's not going to help you. If you're a woman, uh, you're, 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 if you're a kid, your dad and mom aren't going to be there to help you. There's only one person going to be there to help you, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd get in real good relationship with him. And real good communication with him. And daily walk with him and talk with him. And, and, and share things back and forth with him. So that when the time of the sorrows of death come upon you, you know where to go. You know who to cry to. Boy. It'll help you. I remember uh, Tom Cronin telling me when he had his first bypass. I think at 57, 58 years old. And he was in the hospital. It's scary. I mean, come on. They take you in there. They, they start off the skill saw. Chinga, chinga. Cross your sternum. Jack. I mean, no, you're out when they do that. You better hope. But I mean, if you know anything about it, you've ever read anything about it, you know that's what they're going to do to you. That's why I say, ain't no bypass, man. But you go to God. You, you go to him and ask him to help you. The fearfulness and trembling are upon me. The horror hath overwhelmed me. I don't think it's exempt. I don't think we as Christians are exempt from these kinds of feelings. You say, oh, God's going to protect me. You know, Pentecostal, man. Pentecostals, they got them convinced that God doesn't want any bad things to ever happen to them. He wants, no, he wants you to never suffer pain, never suffer trouble. He'll take you out of everything. He'll take you on the wings of a dove. Fly you into heaven. It'll be all good. 
It doesn't seem to be the way it was. If I remember my Psalms right, Psalm 23 says, Yea, though I walk through the what? The valley of the shadow. A shadow is not the real thing. A shadow is just a shadow. But it looks like it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For This is a secret. For thou art with me. He knew that. See, if you don't walk with God today when you feel good, you're going to wish you walked with him when you don't feel good. If you don't walk with God now and in the life when you're healthy, uh, wealthy and wise, as they say, and, and you, you trust him now, trust him daily. Brother, when, if you trust him daily, when, when, you're in the, when you're in the shadow, the very valley of the shadow of death, he'll be there for you. David said, I trust him. I believe Jesus had, I, I think Gethsemane was about the shadow, the, the horrors of death, the shadow of death, the, the uh, sorrows of death. I believe all that was a, wasn't there something big going on at Gethsemane? The creator of all the universe was falling down on the ground in such agony that he was sweating, as it were, great drops of blood, crying out, Father, Abba, Father, if it be possible that this pass from me, this cup. What was he suffering? He wasn't doing anything wrong. He wasn't doing anything wrong. Don't you, I, I don't think anybody in this room would say, oh, I don't think Jesus really had a good relationship with the Father, and that's why he felt that way. Stop it. Brother Jesus had a relationship. He, the Father and him were one. John chapter 17. And yet he went through this as part of his learning to be a high priest in the human body that he had. So that he could, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. All points tempted like as we are yet without sin. That process of him understanding you and me cost. It cost him. What did he do? He trusted. He just kept trusting. He wasn't going to get out of it. The father and he had planned this before the foundation of the world. He wasn't going to escape it. He was going to have to go through it. There was no exit except through the cross. And by, I'd like to tell you that I'm going to be able to avoid death, but I probably won't. I'm, I would like to tell you I'd like to never feel the horrors of death and the, the, breath, the breath of death, but I probably will. But through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. A song written about that somewhere. I like what Jesus did for us. 1 Corinthians 15, 55, and 57 says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who has given us the victory to our Lord Jesus Christ. I like when it calls it the sting of death. I, I was a beekeeper for a while. And I've felt the sting and the wrath of honeybee. Uh, but it won't kill you. 
It'll make you juice around a little bit. You jump around. You ever see a Baptist dance? You get about four or five honeybees under his outfit. But ultimately, we're delivered from the sorrows, the shadows, the snares, and the horrors. That's what the Bible calls death. We must walk through the door. We must face the separation. We must lose this world to gain the next. You, you want to go to heaven tonight? Well, maybe not tonight, but do you want to go to heaven? Do you? I didn't see a well overwhelming answer on that. But anyway, heaven is a wonderful place full of glory and grace. I want to see my Savior's face. Oh, heaven's a wonderful. Heaven's a marvelous. Heaven's a wonderful place. You get to go to heaven, but you got to go through this veil. You got to walk through it of the unfamiliar. And it's part of our growing in Christ. It's part of our, but it's just a sting. It's just a sting. When I would do bad, and I know you have a hard time believing I misbehaved as a child. But when I misbehaved as a child, my dad would say, now, son, I'm going to have to spank you. Now, when he meant spank you, he didn't mean no patty cake, patty cake, bakers, man. We ought to have a course on how to spank. It was a happening. And what he would tell me to comfort me, he says, son, it'll be over soon. I appreciate that. He'd say, it'll be over soon, but you're going to get it. What? And of course, he'd whip me. I got spanked at least 150, 200 times, minimum. Anything that was close by. I like our songs, and there's so many songs. Crossing, the death is likened to crossing a river. By the way, that's something unknown now. Who crosses river? Who fords rivers now? You go across a bridge. But years ago, it wasn't the way it was. If you wanted to go in Virginia, you want to go one part of Virginia to the next part of Virginia, guess what you get to do? You get to ford uh, creeks and, and sometimes, how would you like to ford the Ohio River? Is that the Ohio River go by you guys? Well, anyway, some big river. Missouri River. How would you like to ford the Missouri River? Uh, but but they, had to, they had to get across it. They didn't just stay on this side and everybody live on this side and never go. They figured out how to go across it. They forded the, the, the place. The Indians, well, the big thing on the Natchez Trace was that the Indians knew where to cross the streams. They knew where at the stream to go across. And that was real, real big to the traders from New England that would trade all the way down to Natchez, Mississippi, and then go out the port. Uh, they had to know how you go across all those streams. And, all, and those Indian guys would say, okay, this is where you go. Natchez Trace. Follow the trace. It was a depression in the land from so many people walking through it. And so death has been likened to crossing a river. Something unknown to us uh, in this time, but it was uncomfortable. It was dangerous. It was scary. I read an account on the Natchez Trace of a preacher who was trying to reach the Indians with the gospel. God bless these guys. And uh, they had an Indian guide 
and the Indian guide, uh, in one day they forded five streams. He said, I'm wet, I'm cold, we never got dry, and the, and the Indians just sleep on the ground. The Indians just slept on the ground. He says, I got no place to sleep, I'm wet. And my, you, know what, you know what happens when your clothes get, do you know what happens when your clothes get wet and you move around in them a little bit? You get what they call chafing. If you don't believe it, run in cotton. Go run a couple miles in cotton. You won't run the next day. Here's what you're going to do the next day. But that chafing will eat you for lunch. Your skin chafes under that sweat, under that water. Imagine being wet all day on a horse with that horse moving around with that wet clothing and you're on that heart. It's, and man, this preacher, he, he, he wrote out all of the hardship that he went through and how they slept on the ground and everything. I thought, we are a bunch of sissies. Man, these men knew what it was to suffer. Woo! But we've been described as going across the river. Also, it's described as a golden shore, the celestial city, a land that is fairer than day. That's what's coming. And Jesus has crossed it ahead of us, folks. He's gone across the head of us, and he leads the way, and he shows the way, and he says, follow me, and we get to do that. O'Donna McGarry followed on. One more of us got to cross over yesterday, I believe it was, day before, maybe. But your life just starts once you cross over. Just, you say, oh, I've had a you haven't had any kind of a great life. Until you had the life on the other side. Your transgressions are forgiven. You've been washed white as snow in the blood of Jesus. You've been saved from a place called hell, the ultimate separation. I read in the Bible that uh, the, the ultimate separation and death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is a second death. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. This, there are nothing... Nothing, 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 nothing in this world worth being cast into the lake of fire. The ultimate separation, according to the Bible, is described as total darkness. No party. Nobody's going to be down there partying. Hey, good to see you. Come on down. Nobody's going to be partying in hell. They're not going to see anybody they know, ever. They'll hear the screams of people, but don't know where they're coming from. This is just biblical descriptions, there'll be gnashing of teeth, and it'll go on forever. What? Wow. I'll tell you, if I, if I was here tonight once saved, I'd say, preacher, I got to get saved tonight because I don't want to go to hell. Because I can guarantee you, a few things in life I can guarantee you, without, unless the rapture of the church comes, you're going to die. You're going to die. And you better be prepared to meet the sorrows of death. Father, help us tonight. May the Spirit of the living God come and use this. It's in the book. Thank you for putting it there for us. May we be delivered as Christians, even when we walk through the sorrows of death and when the terrors of death compass us, when the valley of the shadow of death wants to scare us, May we trust in you every all. May we cast ourselves upon your mercy. 
Now, there may be some in this room tonight that have not made preparation for death. May tonight they make it. Bible says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Why don't you cry out and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner unable to save myself. I believe that you're the Savior, the only Savior, and that you died and indeed have been resurrected. Please save me. Cry out. Ask him to save you. We'd love to help you. Love to pray with you in every way we can. Father, we just pray that you'd help Christians to be encouraged to the fact that Jesus Christ has conquered death, hell, and the grave. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.